0: Welcome to the Teaching Ministry of Magnolias First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, we're continuing in our series entitled "Followship," and we're looking in the New Testament letter of Second Peter and what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And as we think of the term. Follow-ship. last week we said there were two primary questions that every one of us must answer in life. The first question is, who will you follow? Who will you follow? Will you follow yourself? Will you follow your own ambitions and ideas and and incomplete wisdom and insufficient judgment? Will you follow yourself as God of your own life? Or... Will you follow Jesus Christ? Will you trust in him by faith? Will you believe that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine, and that payment is credited to our eternal soul when we by faith receive him as our savior? That means he forgives our sins and our Lord, which means he becomes our master, and we begin a life journey of following him who will you follow and if you have answered that first question by saying I will follow Jesus we talk a lot about being Christ followers here at Magnolia's first so if you would say I put my faith and trust in Christ I remember that time I testified of it in my own baptism I will follow Jesus then the second question becomes incredibly relevant how will you know what he wants you to do. How will you know how to follow? If you're serious about following him faithfully, that your Christian faith is not just words, but it's truly the core of who you have become, how will you know what he wants you to do? And last week, I, I quoted a, a man named Henry Blackaby who wrote a, a study years and years ago called Experiencing God, And in that quote, I said, Dr. Blackaby said that we know how to follow Christ Uh, by the Holy Spirit as he guides us, by prayer as we pray uh, to the Lord and ask for his wisdom and direction, Uh, by the circumstances of our life that God speaks to us through what happens to us in our life, by the community of faith, the local church that we're a part of. But the, the most important way we know how to follow Jesus is his written, divine, perfect revelation to us we call the Bible, Holy Scripture. And so we talked all about that last week, and our big idea last week was God's Word is life's only sure foundation. It's the only sure foundation. And we looked not only in 2 Peter chapter one, but we also looked at Jesus' words in Matthew seven. Let me read one of the verses that we examined last week where Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And I challenged you about the importance of of having the Scripture in your heart, mind, and life, not just on Sundays, but every day. And I encourage you to read the Scripture, if not daily, on a very regular basis. And I told you about the wonderful resource we call the U-Version Bible App. Y-O-U-Version. Uh, app And uh, many of you downloaded it. Some of, some of you already had it. And that app has literally hundreds of Bible reading plans. Some of them uh, are a year long. I'm, I'm in a year long plan that will take me all the way through the, the New Testament and then back over sections of it. Some of them are very short. And many of you joined me this past week in a five-day study uh, of Philippians chapter 2 and it was wonderful we had comments and we talked to each other encouraged one another but I encourage you whether you use the version Bible app or some other Bible reading plan to be consistently in the word of God or you will not be equipped to meet the challenges of following Jesus because sometimes it's tough and sometimes this world gets ugly uh, you know, we enjoy being together in wonderful times of worship like we've experienced. Uh, being led by very gifted and talented musicians and singers and uh, singing and worshiping together. And, and, and wasn't it fun to, to pray over young Easton and, and his family? I mean, what, what, a, what a joy it is to worship together. I mean, it's almost like a spiritual five-star hotel. And it made me remember a story from my life years ago i had the privilege of going on a mission trip to korea and if you know anything about my story you know that korea holds a special place in my story because my father uh, was killed on the battlefield in korea when i was just six weeks old and so i had the opportunity to go to the place where my father gave his life for the freedom of those folks And uh, I was able to share my testimony with hundreds of people and use that kind of analogy just as my father and other American soldiers gave their lives so that you could have freedom from communism. In a much more significant way, Jesus gave his life on the cross so that you could have spiritual freedom forever. And it it was a great experience. And at the beginning of the trip, The larger group that flew over there together, there were about uh, 30 or 40 of us, we stayed uh, in downtown Seoul at a five-star hotel. And it was wonderful. We ate good food, we had great fellowship, we were uh, trained for the first two days on what we would be doing out in the the suburbs of that great city of Seoul, Korea. But at the end of those first two days in the five-star hotel, we got on a bunch of different buses and all of us went to different places, we went to the other side of town. And I'll never forget, as I got off that bus, carrying my suitcase, on the short walk to the other hotel where we'd be staying for the remainder of the trip, I remember passing a a fruit stand and looking at the piles of fruit and seeing little heads over the top of the, the piles of fruit. And I realized they were rats. And as we walked on, as I looked down at, at the, the road that we were walking on, uh, there was a little trench that, that ran along the edge of the road, and, and there was water and stuff flowing through it, and I didn't know what that was until I realized I was seeing something I'd never seen before here in America. It was an open sewer. And there was human refuse and water running in that open sewer. And I should have known that was a foreshadowing of what was to come. We got to the hotel, and our translator checked us in and took us up to the, the second floor where our rooms were. And, and I remembered that there was a stairwell leading up to the, uh, big white stairwell leading up to the third floor, but it was all gated off and locked. And I asked our translator, uh, why is that stairwell to the third floor gated and locked? And he said, oh, they've given that up to the rats. And I thought he was kidding until I got to my room and I sat on my bed and things got quiet and I could hear the rats running on the third floor above me and not only that, I could hear them as they came down into the walls of my room. And I thought, I'm on the other side of town. And as we journey together through God's Word, often we kind of stay in the five-star hotel spiritually. We talk about the goodness of God and the the blessings and the benefits of of, of being a a Christ follower, a forgiven child of God, an inherited uh, spiritual life, by grace through faith and being a part of the family of God. And it's just, it's comfortable and it's good and it's encouraging. But if we're going to go all the way through the Word of God as we spend years together, sometimes the writers of Scripture take us to the other side of town that's not a five-star hotel. And that's exactly what the Apostle Peter does in our passage today in 2 Peter chapter 2 as he talks about false teachers and false ideologies that lead people toward destruction and he will tell them that in old testament times there were false teachers and he will say to those first century christ followers in your time there are false teachers and false religions and false ideologies. But can I tell you today in 2021 that in the 21st century, there are even more false teachers and false religions and false ideologies. And that's why it becomes even more important as we connect our thinking with what we said last week that we understand the Word of God to be able to recognize and combat false teaching. So here's our big idea for today. Don't fall for the lie. Stand for the truth. Stand for the truth. So with that introduction, we'll be looking at several different passages today, but our main text is 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll cover the whole chapter. Here we go, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. The Apostle Peter says, But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money but God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. Here's how I would summarize what Peter's saying as the chapter opens. False teachers will deny sound doctrine, discredit the deity of Christ, and deny the gospel. I will not seek to name all of the false religions today, but I'm going to be bold enough to, to name one of them specifically, Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. They are a false theology. They are not a Christian church. Let me share with you a part of a quote of their founder, the late Charles T. Russell. And listen to how this impacts our biblical belief in the deity of Jesus Christ. Quote, Throughout his entire existence, Jesus was never co-equal with God. There was a time when Jesus was not. Thus, he is not eternal. On earth, he was nothing more than a man. So said the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses and there are many others if you go to the website of our North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention they have uh, wonderful material that will discuss all of the cults and their unbiblical beliefs but let me just say that that cults and false churches and false ideologies are common in our culture today they are in almost every community in America and they are leading millions through deception and heresy, toward a path of eternal destruction. Now, let me be clear. In our society, in our uh, nation of freedom, of religious freedom, citizens are free to choose whatever they want to believe. From Christian churches all the way to the church of Satan and everything in between. That's a real thing, by the way. Everything in between. People in America can choose to believe whatever they want. They have that right. But the Bible says God will one day bring destruction on those who reject the truth. It's real. We live in an era of grace when we don't like to think about the justice and judgment of God. But if you read the Old Testament in an era of God's justice and judgment, you will see what happened to people who overtly and rebelliously rejected God and His truth. And it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. But we live in the era of grace that Jesus Christ has come, and God is giving everyone the opportunity to receive his Son and be forgiven. But it does not change, listen to me, it does not change the reality of the coming future judgment. And that's what this chapter is all about. Look at verse 4. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. Now you read that and you go, what in the world is the Apostle Peter talking about? When did that happen? Where did did that take place? Well, it's described a little more clearly in Revelation chapter 12. We're going to visit there quickly. Follow on the screen. Here's the story from the Apostle John. Look at this. He recounts a time long ago. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael, if you don't know who Michael is, he's God's archangel, number one angel, kind of like his executive pastor, I guess. Michael, the archangel, and his angels fought against the dragon, you know who he is, and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Now we could spend a month on that, on that teaching, but the point is this. If God will judge angels, how much more will he judge sinful human beings? So go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, pick it up with verse 5. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Now, here's here's the deal. We think of the story of Noah as kind of like a a, a cartoon, like a a fairy tale. And we will, you know, in our children's room sometimes, we'll paint a mural on their wall of, of Noah and the ark, and all the animals have their heads sticking out the window and Noah and his family are waving and, you know. But can I tell you, that's not the story of Noah and the ark the story of Noah and the ark is a story of judgment and God's rescue for those who trusted in him. What you don't see in the cartoons and and all the the cute little pictures are those who had rejected God desperately trying to get inside the ark. But they could not because they were under the judgment of God. Then Peter gives us another example of God's judgment and rescue. This one is from Genesis 19. It's the story of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You ever heard of those? In short, they were two ancient cities that were filled with people who rejected God's truth, did things their own way, and they were filled with sinful practices. And God warned them and warned them, and then finally God sent judgment. In this case, it was fire from heaven that obliterated those two cities, and the only people rescued was a man named Lot and his family who trusted in God. Look what Peter says about it, verse 6. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. By the way, that sounds a little bit like our culture today, doesn't it? Verse 9. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. Any of you know who evangelist Billy Graham was? Yeah, every, everybody knows Billy Graham. Well, his, his wife, Ruth Graham, said something in 1965 that has become quoted thousands of times. Here's what Ruth Graham said in 1965. If God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. I wonder what Ruth Graham would say if she could see America today. Verse 10, Peter goes on, and boy, these are words for today if there ever was. It says, he, God, is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. And if you doubt that that verse is still true, speak out in, in a group of unbelievers and try to defend the biblical model of marriage, family, and sexual behavior. And when you do, you will be ridiculed and persecuted and mark my words, it's very likely it will soon become illegal. Illegal. Why, why is that? Why is, why is it such a, a, a tension in our culture? Because what Peter is talking about here is that like in his day, in our day, people don't want anyone telling them what to believe or how to behave. Not even the God of the Bible. Verse 10 goes on to say, these people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. The 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 term there translated supernatural beings really means demons. And here's the point. If today you get in the midst of a group of unbelievers and you start talking about the reality of angels and demons and spiritual warfare, guess what? They're gonna laugh at you like you're crazy. They're going to think you've gone nuts. They're going to say there's no such thing as angels and demons, but look at what he says in verse 11. But the angels who are far greater in power and strength do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. He's saying, listen, angels know demons are real. In fact, you can talk to just about anybody in law enforcement and they will tell you evil is real. It is tangible, and it is strong in our culture, and it's not just random. There is an evil force in our world today, and there will be until Jesus comes again. And what Peter is saying there is that God one day will judge those who follow evil. Two statements are true. Number one, God God will judge those who deny or defy him, But here's the better news. Like Lot, he will rescue those who love and follow him. Who love and follow him. But for those who continue to reject the truth of God in their arrogance and unbelief, Peter paints a very dark picture now I'm about to read these next verses 12 through 14 and can I tell you that I'd a lot rather be preaching a sermon to you today that would give you the warm and fuzzies and just say oh isn't that wonderful that was such a good message but if I'm gonna teach you the whole counsel of God I have to bring you these truths because they're God's Word here's here's the warning that Peter gives 2 Peter 2, verse 12. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand. And like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin and they are well trained in greed. They live under God's curse. These false teachers are not Obvious and and, and look like crazy people. They're often winsome and intelligent and, and attractive, and they may even believe what they teach, but the reality is the result is a path that leads to destruction. They have a gift for making wrong seem right and evil seem good. And they have twisted or completely discarded the Scripture as truth, and they are determined. Now listen to me. This is hard but true. They are determined to capture the minds and the hearts of the young. Teenagers that are in here, they are after your mind and heart. They, they are trying to deceive you into rejecting the Scripture as truth and to believe the lies of the culture. And they're coming after Easton and all his beautiful cousins. And that's why the need for godly parents and families is greater than it's ever been before that will teach and live the truth of Scripture and to tell them that's not right. I know everybody's doing it. That's not right. And if you'll stay in obedience to God and his word, he will protect you. He will protect you. Peter goes on in verse 15 as he talks about these false teachers. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor. I'll tell you about him in a moment. Who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. Now, if you don't know that story from the Old Testament, you read that and go, say what? But I've got to quickly tell you this story and show it to you in Scripture. You'd think I was making it up. But, but here, here's what I think. If God can make a donkey speak, it proves he has a sense of humor. And God can speak to us however he chooses to speak. I've never heard a donkey talk. I hope I never do. But this guy did. Let me quickly tell you. His name was Balaam. He was determined to go someplace. God told him, don't go there. And he wouldn't listen, and he started off. He couldn't drive. There were no cars. He couldn't ride a motorcycle. There was no motorcycle. He rode a donkey. That's how you got from place to place. And as he was going along the road to where God told him not to go, God sent an angel to try to keep him from doing what would bring destruction. And as they went down the road on the donkey, the donkey could see the angel. He couldn't. And the donkey would veer off the road. And Balaam would get off and beat the donkey, get him back on the road. happened three times, and then, well, let me read it to you. Numbers 22, verse 28. Look on the screen. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. I would have loved to have been there. What have I done? What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times, it asked Balaam. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? And then verse 32, the angel speaks to Balaam. He said, why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. That describes a lot of people today. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, listen to this, I would have certainly killed you by now and spared the donkey. Now we can laugh at a funny story of God making a donkey talk, but here's the, here's the point. It, it expresses the foolishness and futility of going your own way instead of obeying God. And that even a donkey should know better than that. And so back to our text, 2 Peter 2, he talks more about those false teachers that are leading people astray. He said, these people are as useless as dried-up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure people back into sin who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. Peter is saying they're persuasive, they're attractive, but they're leading you to destruction. And then he goes on to say, and when people escape, from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would have been better if they had never known, and that could and should really be translated known about, not known as possessed. It would be better if they had never known about the way to righteousness and to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. Now listen to what I'm saying. This really can speak to those who grow up in the church or who are a part of the church, and they hear the gospel, they understand the gospel, they know that, that the Lord wants them to receive him by faith and follow him with their life. They get it all. It's clear. But then they turn and walk away and go the way of sin and the world. The writer of Hebrews talked about it. Quickly look at this passage with me. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. He says, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. He's saying if you hear it, you understand it, you reject it, Jesus would have to be crucified all over again. Verse 27, there is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. And so Peter concludes our our passage with two images that, to be honest, are disgusting. And he's giving the analogy about those who hear of the glorious truth of the gospel and knowing Christ, but they instead reject it and go back to sin and self. Here's what he says. The first of these two images comes from Proverbs 26, 11. 2 Peter two, twenty-two. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. And another one says, a washed pig returns to the mud here's what Peter's saying false teaching false religions false churches false ideologies of the culture false teaching that turns people away from the gospel and back to sin leads them to eternal destruction Now, I've got to tell you, I cannot stop the teaching there. That's the end of our main text, 2 Peter chapter 2. But I cannot stop the teaching this morning there because I, I can't leave us in the open spiritual sewer of sin and destruction because that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is not just a message of God's judgment upon sin, though that is a part of the truth. The gospel message is a message of hope. It's a message of forgiveness. It's not just a message of judgment for sin and rebellion. It's a message of faith and restoration and redeeming grace for all who will believe and follow Jesus. So I give you one more passage of Scripture. Stay with me. I'm going to begin with the most loved verse in all the Bible, John 3.16, and read the two verses after. Listen to every word. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him, not just believe with the mind, you believe with your heart and will to follow as well. Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Him. But then a final warning. But anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. So it leads me to this question. Have you believed? Online, here in the room, have you believed? I don't just mean believed with your head. This this passage proves you can believe intellectually and not receive by faith. Have you believed in the New Testament sense where you trust Jesus with your heart, your mind, your will, and your life to follow him? Have you believed? And so I encourage that you're following Him faithfully because it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but judgment is coming. Be certain. Secondly, be wise. If you're a Christ follower, be wise about knowing what the Scripture has to say. Be so grounded in the truth of Scripture that when a false teaching or a false ideology comes before you, you recognize it because you know the truth and you reject it and you oppose it. Be wise. Third, be prepared. We are in spiritual warfare. I said last week, when you become a follower of Christ, you haven't joined a country club, you've enlisted in an army. And so you must be prepared, put on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, and be grounded in the word of God. I plead with you today, don't fall for the lie. Stand for the truth. And if you'd like to know what it would mean to take the next step in your spiritual journey, or if you're already a Christ follower and you'd like to become a part of Magnolias First, we invite you, if you're here in the room, to come by the hospitality room. I'll be waiting there. Would love to talk with you. If you're online, connect Believe to our Get Connected number, 281-343-3033, and we'll respond to you. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the truth of God's word. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it makes us squirm. But we need your truth. And I pray that today it would find a lodging in every one of our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen.